Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you for your word, Lord. These are really exciting times. You're taking us on, on an exciting journey. We're grateful for the illumination that your word brings into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we continue on our journey into God's promises. Um, I have enjoyed uh, this journey. Um, I hope you have, as I have prepared from Sunday to Sunday to share with you uh, different uh, stops on this journey. We we stopped a few weeks ago uh, at the Ten Commandments. Uh, the children of Israel arrived at Mount Sinai. Uh, God was preparing them for life with him. And he gave them a, a code, uh, principles by which uh, they would live. Um, and the more I've studied these commandments, the, the more it's, it's, it's been driven home to me that these commandments are not some ancient footnote in the Old Testament that we read in a historical sense. But seriously, these are the values, this creates the value system. These are the principles by which we are, we, God intends that we should live. And so please don't just leave it in your notes or don't just let it be um, a service you enjoyed. Uh, the Bible is very clear that it's not just those who hear uh, that are commended to God, but it's those who hear and those who do what God says uh, in his word that we should do. So please be doers uh, with relations to, or with regards to uh, these commandments, especially as we go through them. Today we're going to and try to look at, and I believe we will, the third and the fourth commandments. The third and the fourth commandments. The third commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Exodus, the 20th chapter and the 7th verse. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does it mean? Well, basically that you, 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 God is instructing that we don't abuse or misuse his name and is also letting us know that there are consequences. The person is not guiltless who abuses or misuses his name. And you know, uh, names are very significant. I remember when I was uh, coming to boarding school in England, I was being sent to boarding school on the Isle of Wight in a little town called Bembridge. And I was leaving home, um, going to be uh, thousands of miles, six, 7,000 miles away from my parents. And I remember the conversation my father had with me. My mother had, you know, a conversation about my welfare. And, you know, obviously she was, she was going to miss me. But my father's conversation was centered around the family name. And I remember him saying clearly, whatever you do, don't go there and spoil the family name. I thought that was a bit harsh then. But with time, I have come to understand the significance of names. What he was saying in effect is that this name is who we are and your actions can contribute to strengthening this name or contribute to weakening this name or, or bringing this name into disrepute. 
You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. There's just something about a name. And, and the Lord said that we must not take his name in vain. There's just something significant about a name. It's in a sense, it for, for us as humans, when we give names, it contains our hopes, our dreams, and our aspirations for those who are giving those names. You know, we have three children. Uh, our first son is called Jamie, um, and in my native dialect, that means he will go farther, uh, farther than his father, farther than his grandfather, farther than any man uh, in our lineage. Noyeleze, um, our daughter, um, I remember that year, the general overseer tagged it the year of the king. Um, and so she was born in the year of the king and our aspiration, our dreams, our hopes are that she will stay close to the king. Hence, Noye Leze in, in my native dialect. And our, our last child, Sochi, um, our dream is that he will be close to God. He will follow God hard as the deer pants for water. So his soul will long for God. So we've called him Sochi, which means in my dialect, follow God. There's just something about a name. And it, does, it, 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 it doesn't differ with God. Uh, the name that he gave his son, we have hopes, aspirations, and dreams. But for God, it is not just reality or fact, it's the truth. So the names he gave Jesus, the, the names are the personification of what God, the Trinity, expects that Jesus is. And Jesus being part of that Trinity, there is uh, an agreement that this is who he is. This is who Jesus is. But also, in the name of God, it's the personification of God. This is who God is. You know, in John the 15th chapter and the 16th verse, the Bible says, uh, in the latter part of that scripture, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So it's because of his name, the weight of his name, that we have that authority to ask the Father. And, and be certain that the Father will give it to us. Um, one translation says, the Passion Translation, whatever you ask of my Father, for my sake, he will give it to you. That means that it's, one says his name, but the other one explains it further. That is not just a name, just not just something that is hanging on, on nothing, but it's the person of Jesus. So it is for my sake that he will give it to you. You know, you get some lessons from the Old Testament and from the Jews in the Old Testament and still observed today in, in, in certain Jewish quarters. The reverence that they had for the name of God and how that reverence played itself out in how they related to God's name. Uh, firstly, God's name was never spoken or written. They just thought it is so hallowed that we can't as human beings speak it or write it. Rather than say his name Yahweh, they would rather say the Lord because they couldn't bring themselves to say his name. And if they had to write it down, they would go through an elaborate ceremony before writing the name of God. They would wash their clothes. They would get a new pen because you couldn't use an old pen to write God's name. And they would never write the full name Yahweh but they would write the alphabets Y-H-W-H. Now, of course, the revolution of bringing Jesus 
brings brought with it the revolution of an intimate relationship with God, created an opportunity for us to come close to God. Jesus was the ex express image of God, so God himself had come to live amongst us. Emmanuel, the Bible tells us, God with us. But then that revolution, that blessing of that intimacy should not lead us to a place where we lose reverence for the name of God. So that commandment is still relevant today that we must not take the name of the Lord in vain. And I get, I, I'm sure that's why when Jesus taught us to pray with the model prayer in Matthew the 6th chapter and the ninth verse, this is what he said. The Bible says in Matthew 6 verse 9, In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, the Passion Translation would say, May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Yeah? Hallowed be your name. May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. So what was Jesus saying? That what was declared in the Old Testament, in the third commandment, he declares to us as he gives us a model for approaching God in prayer, for communicating with God, that the foundation of our communication with God, of our approaching God, must be that we hallow God's name, we treat God's name with reverence, we don't misuse or abuse God's name. So how can we do that in a practical sense? How do we misuse or abuse God's name? Well, let me run through certain ways we can do that, uh, misuse and, or abuse God's name in a practical sense so that it's applicable to our lives today. Number one is using it in a profane or vulgar way uh, as a swear word or an expletive. And, and you, you see that all the time. We live in a, in a, in a fallen world. You see where people uh, use God's name, Jesus' name, uh, in a profane, sometimes vulgar way. Um, um, you might have heard where someone uses it, as a, uses, uses it as a swear word or as an expletive. And that is wrong. And every time that happens, you must find a way. That's part of our responsibility to register that it's not right. It is wrong. Of course, I understand that sometimes this happens in offices and you might not get a chance to do so immediately. But part of your objective must be I have to make sure that I speak out or I let it be known that using this name in this way, certainly around me, is offensive and injurious to me. That's part of our responsibility. So, of course, someone might say, yeah, who's listening? I'm a Christian. I don't use God's name in a profane or a vulgar way. Well, do you do the second thing? using it in a frivolous way. So it's not profane, it's not vulgar, it's not a swear word, it's not an expletive, but it's frivolous. You know, just dropping it anyhow, just using it to punctuate sentences, using it to, to, to uh, uh, express surprise, and, and using it to just make your language interesting and colorful in a totally frivolous way. Uh, that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's misusing or abusing the word. The, the name of the Lord. Number three, and some people might not expect this, not ascribing glory to him for the things he has done. Yeah? Because it was done in his name. It was done by his grace. It was done for Jesus' sake. 
And when we don't ascribe glory to it, and worse still, when we take some of the glory ourselves, we are misusing or abusing his name. And number four, bringing his name into disrepute by our actions. The Bible would say, flee the appearances of evil. Yeah, what does the Bible mean? It means that it might not be evil. Yeah, you can say categorically it's not evil. But then you have to flee the appearance of evil. I remember speaking to a young man who wanted to go on holiday with a girlfriend. And I knew both of them had committed themselves to not being involved in a sexual way uh, at, at that point in their relationship. But the young man initially couldn't understand why I told him that it's not right for both of you on your own to go on holiday. But I then explained to him that it's an appearance of evil because most people will jump to conclusions. They will assume that this is what is happening. It is normal in a fallen world for that to happen. I said, so there's a responsibility on you because you are, you are wearing the name of Christ. You, you have named yourself. You, I mean, you're named because you're a son of his and you have not been quiet about it. This will be an appearance of evil. It could inadvertently bring his name into disrepute. So there's a responsibility on us so that our actions don't bring his name into disrepute. So that as husband and wife, we don't bring his name into disrepute. Um, in our offices, we don't bring his name into disrepute. Uh, because we, we do that when we claim his name, but act in a way that disgraces him. And so I understood the caution my father gave me as I, as I, as I left to go to boarding school. What he was saying to me, in, in essence, was don't do anything that is going to disgrace this family name. And you know, the Bible says that God will not hold him guiltless. That means that we, don't, we shouldn't think that it doesn't matter to God. No, the Bible says the person who brings the name of the Lord into disrepute, the person who, who uh, doesn't ascribe glory to God, the person who uses God's name in a frivolous way, and the person who uses it in a profane or vulgar way, and I think by extension, the person who sits in an environment where it is being used in a, proclaim, in a profane or vulgar way. I guess that's what the psalmist was talking about in the first psalm where he warned that ble the blessing cannot come on the person who sits in the seat of the scornful or stands in the way of sinners. Uh, it, it, same thing he was saying, that where this is the case, then, then the person has contravened the third commandment. Amen and amen. So please, let's make sure that that's not the case with us, that we are hallowing the name of God because the name of God is the very person of God. We are hallowing him for his, we are reverencing him, respecting him uh, and his name for who he is, his mercies, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his grace, uh, his provision, his protection. The list is endless. And most importantly, we, are just, we just marvel at the grace expressed in our salvation that his son could die for us. And so we, we say, hallowed be your name. Uh, we, we, we reverence your name and we will not misuse or abuse your name. That leads us to the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment, Exodus 20, 
verses 8 to 11. Now, before I say, the, before I talk about the fourth commandment, most people think this is the least important of the commandments, uh, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. The least important commandment? I think not. For starters, you'd be surprised to know that it is the longest of the, of the Ten Commandments. None of them is as long as this. Why do you think that God took so much time to explain this particular commandment? I think because this particular commandment, in a way that we might not yet have fully understood, is very foundational to how we were designed to function. Don't forget that this is the manufacturer's manual that is being given to the product, you and I, and God being the manufacturer, as to how the product can function at its optimum. I believe it's a foundational principle of existence, and I believe that we abuse it at our peril. I believe that some of the things that we see that, is, that are going wrong in our world and in our lives are directly attributable to this, this foundational principle of life having been disregarded or abused. Let's look at a few things about this. And I'm hoping that what I'm about to say will change your life in much the same way that it challenged me when I was preparing this, this fourth commandment. Number one, the commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, there might be some discussion as to what exactly is the Sabbath day. Uh, the Jew, for the Jews, it's Saturday. Uh, for Christians, it, it, it tends to be it's Sunday. But I think the focus is not on a particular day. The focus is on the principle of dedicating 24 hours, including the time you sleep, to God in this manner as your Sabbath. I think that it is healthy for every person to have a Sabbath. I think it is absolutely healthy. I don't just think it is healthy. I actually think increasingly that is a foundational principle of existence that has been enshrined from the beginning. So, the encouragement to you is have a Sabbath day. Don't allow the busyness of life to prevent you. Don't allow the concept of, uh, of uh, trying to do so many things and trying to achieve so many things to rob you. It's actually what is called a pyrrhic victory in the sense that it ends up being hollow. You cut your nose to spite your face by not having a Sabbath day. So have a Sabbath day. Number two, keep it holy. For the Bible says there, uh, remember the Sabbath, Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, what does this mean? It means very, very simply what it says. It means that it is sacred. 
It means that the very act of having the Sabbath day and doing it how God wants it done is akin to worship. Now, most of us would readily rush to worship God. If we knew there was a service where we were going to sing songs that would, that would glorify God, songs about God's holiness and God's awesomeness, every, every Christian would know that that is worship. But worship is a lot more than a song. Worship is how we express ourselves according to God's laws. And part of God's law is that we have this Sabbath day that in our rest, we, we worship God from that place of rest. And it, and it is sacred, God says. Uh, the fact that you are lying down doing nothing is worship to God on your, Sabbath, on your Sabbath day because you are doing it in a sense, keeping that day free of everything just so you are there, albeit resting, but there for God. So the Sabbath day, keep it holy. It is sacred. Don't allow things to step onto the sacredness of that day, that day and end up desecrating the sacredness of that day. Number three, it's a byproduct. It's said in a sense in an opposite way, but it is very much a message of this fourth commandment. And what is that message? What is that message? Six days you shall labor. What's the message in that? The message is this. You can't expect to benefit in the kingdom of God if you are not working hard. The Bible didn't have to write that. The Bible could have just gone on straight to talk about the seventh day do no work. But the Bible needed to emphasize that the nature of the kingdom of God is that God blesses the hands of the diligent. So six days, you shall not lounge around, laze around, uh, lie on a couch, do nothing for six days, and then add the seventh day as a Sabbath, and then do nothing for the whole week. No, the Bible instruction is work hard. In fact, the Bible uses the term labor for six days, and then on the seventh day, rest. The person that does not work for the six days is as guilty as the person who works on the Sabbath. Number four, the Bible does something. It says with regards to the Sabbath, it says, not only shall you do no work, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, even your cattle, your stranger who is within your gates shall do no work. What is the Bible trying to say? Don't abuse other people's rights to a Sabbath. You might not have the revelation yet, but for those who have the revelation, respect that revelation because it came straight from God. The graphic example of the Bible, the person who's been addressed has authority over these people. He can make them do what he wants. He can conceivably have a Sabbath, but make them work. But the responsibility put on him is that everything within your sphere of influence, including your cattle for emphasis, must also observe a, 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 a Sabbath. So please respect people's right to a, a Sabbath and those who you have influence over or, inf or whose lives you can influence, encourage them to follow this scriptural truth of having a Sabbath. Encourage others to do so. The fifth thing that we, that we glean from the scriptures 
is that the Bible says, no work shall be done on that day. No work. You know, um, J, uh, Canon J. John wrote a book called Just Ten. And in that book about the Ten Commandments, he talks about the, 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 this commandment encouraging us to physically be non-productive. How many know that goes against the grain of culture? Because people are thinking, really? God wants us to be non-productive physically? Yes. On one day, God says, no productivity physically. Don't try to multiply. Don't try to uh, climb the ladder. Don't try to get it done. You don't have to answer that email on that day. You don't have to have a meeting on that day. The truth is that the email can wait, as we found out. The meeting can wait. The world wants to, the, the, the enemy using, is, is using the things that are happening to try to get us into the place of busyness. And you know, I think it was an Indian preacher that coined the acronym uh, for busy, uh, B-U-S-Y, uh, as, as being buried under Satan's yoke. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be buried under the yoke, uh, uh, become slaves to the tyranny of business. And God is saying, on one day, be non-productive. Just rest. And there, is, there are reasons for it. God knows. He knows what happens when we rest in that way. So it's not natural for us, but fight to make sure that you don't do any work. You know, we... we, we We've tried this many times in my home, but you know, my wife Shola, she works hard. So the concept of a whole day not doing anything uh, is a challenge that she will have to deal with. But I know the Spirit of God will speak to her very soon and she will understand the necessity for it. It's really the way we were designed. You know, if you go to Mercedes-Benz, they will tell you how best this car can function. And one of the things they will tell you, of course, if you drive the car into, 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 into the sea, you wreck the whole car. It wasn't designed to function like that. We were not designed to function without a Sabbath. And it goes on to my next example. If God himself, number six, and what is that? Follow the example of the Lord. Think about it, please. If God himself, God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the psalmist says in Psalm 62 verse 11, it was spoken once, twice did I hear this, that power belonged to God. Now, do you imagine that God, this God, needed to rest? I'm sure you agree with me that as a need, God does not need to rest. He is not human. So why then did God, at the start, as he was laying an example, for those who are made in his image, but who are not immortal, as some of us tend to think, but who are mortal, he laid the example, he set the example by working hard in creation for six days and on the seventh day resting. And then when he gave them his commandments, in the fourth commandment, he now says to them, you must also rest, have a Sabbath, exactly how I also had a Sabbath. How many know it is foolishness not to hear the voice of the Lord? And invariably, we pay for it 
in one way or another. In the same way that if we disobey any of these commandments, there are consequences. So we follow the example of the Lord. We are patterned after him. We are designed in his image, in his likeness, to function like him. And if he rested, then my brother and my sister, it is foolishness not to include this as a regular part of life, a day when we just rest and have a Sabbath. And then number seven, lastly, he blessed the Sabbath. So I say to people that there is a blessing in the Sabbath. You'll be amazed at, as to what can happen when you start to take a Sabbath. The things that God can drop in your mind because you're not busy running all over the place. The things that the, the way your body is regenerated, revived, refreshed. The reflections that can take place. The intimacy that can take place. The things that you hear. The way your faith grows because you are more dependent on God. Because the whole, the, the, taking a Sabbath increases your dependency on God. Because your natural self is saying, I have to do, have to do, have to, have to do, have to do, have to do. There are so many lists. But your spiritual self says, you know what? God will help me do. This day is dedicated to God. If I give it to God, then God is more than able to help me achieve all the things I should achieve in the six days if I am working hard. There is a blessing for those who observe a Sabbath. You must enter that blessing by starting to obey this fourth commandment. And, and having a day of physical non-productivity, a day that is sacred where you can worship God uh, in your non-productivity physically and open up yourselves for him to speak, drop nuggets into your spirit and into your soul where you can rest your, your body, rest your, 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 your mind, your soul, rest your spirit. Just rest in the Lord. And then see what, what God will do. Hallelujah. Amen. So I want to encourage us. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He will not hold anybody guiltless who does so. The third commandment. And the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Uh, you must have the Sabbath. The Lord blesses the Sabbath. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So you can already see that these commandments are not some archaic footnote in history but these are very relevant things for our lives today and i hope you will take them and become doers of the word hallelujah amen and i want to end by inviting anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with god jesus came the revolution that jesus brought was to introduce us into to have an intimate relationship with god the father uh, so that god the father was not some some uh, far off image in our minds but we have an intimate relationship with him a close personal relationship and if you don't already have that relationship these are the benefits and the joy of having that relationship some of the things I've described but critically is the fact that in that relationship you are brought back to God and guaranteed an eternity with God so it's not just what happens here and so much happens here as he pours grace and mercy on you, it's what happens after where you have an eternity with God. And so if there's anyone who wants to have that relationship with God, it's just a simple prayer that you have to say. Will you say this prayer with me? Father, this day I invite you into my heart, into my life. 
I ask, O oh God, that I, I accept your son Jesus now as my Lord and Savior. You will come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and live in my heart. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I make a decisive dedication of my life to you. I ask for the grace to turn away from anything that is displeasing to you as I embrace you fully today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for receiving me into your family. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life for me. In Jesus' name, I have prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Welcome to God's family.